The Athletic. Good morning. Welcome to the Daily Football Briefing from The Athletic. It's Monday the 7th of August. I'm Tim Spears and today we're asking... Will Arsenal challenge for the Premier League title? If we're talking about the length of a whole season, I do feel they're probably in a better place than they were last year. Has Harry Kane played his last game in a Spurs shirt? I think everyone there was almost trying to read Harry Kane's body language. And after the US were dumped out, who were the new favourites to win the Women's World Cup? Right now, I am definitely going to be watching Japan as, I think, the new favourite of this tournament. This is the Daily Football Briefing with Tim Spears. Arsenal claimed the first trophy of the English season with a penalty shootout victory over Manchester City after a one-all draw in the Community Shield at Wembley. Leandro Trossard's late, late equaliser in the 101st minute cancelled out Cole Palmer's opening goal for City and took the game to penalties before Kevin De Bruyne and Rodri failed with their spot kicks. The Gunners had lost their previous eight matches against Pep Guardiola's side. So, did they claim an early psychological blow here ahead of the 2023-24 league season? Joining us now from the bowels of Wembley Stadium, it's Arsenal writer Art de Rocher. Art, silverware to start the season. Are Arsenal ready to challenge City again? Coming into this season and this game in particular, Arsenal need to look competitive. And I think they did, even if they would have lost this game, you could say that they were competitive because they were able to combat City really well. Um, If we're talking about the length of a whole season, I do feel they're probably in a better place than they were last year because of the additions they've made in, in key areas. But just in terms of the little few technical things on the pitch, they look like they could almost withstand what City had to throw at them a little bit better too. So... Clearly this meant a lot to Arteta and the players. Psychologically, it must have been important not to lose this one after City beat Arsenal pretty convincingly, you know, three times last season. Yeah, I think the big thing going into that last, I guess, even two minutes of additional time was the belief was still there. And with Trossard's goal, I mean, he's actually taken the shot, which is a very nice thing because in, in years gone by, Arsenal may just pass that ball around forever. I think the big thing is, as I say, psychologically, there is now something tangible to hold on to. And just on the performance, first competitive starts here for Rice, Havertz and Timber. What did you make of them? Timber, I was very impressed with. I thought, again, people who may not have seen Arsenal in pre-season may be surprised to see him at left-back, but uh, he's done that for a few games now and he's looked really assured on the ball. And I think we saw that again today. But also, whenever City tried to go wide and get Carl Walker to cross the ball, then he was very solid defensively. So I thought he did very well at left-back then in midfield. The big thing that stuck out for me about Declan Rice was just how how quickly he's able to cover big spaces. There was this moment in the second half where he just tracks Bernardo. Really, it just seemed abnormally. And that actually got the biggest roar, I think, um, from the Arsenal fans at that point in the game. So, And then Havertz, I thought he should have taken at least one of his two chances in the first half. Overall, what I saw in terms of his hold-up play and being able to give Arsenal a platform, I was encouraged by. So I think the, the main thing for him would just be to get a bit of sharpness in those in those more clinical areas. But uh, as a whole, I thought all three played well. 
Now, Manchester City also lost the Community Shield in 2021 and 2022, so it's not necessarily a bad omen. Here's Manchester writer Mark Critchley to give his assessment. Mark, what's your overall take here on City's performance at Wembley? Look, I think the start was what you'd expect. Had a lot of the ball, had a lot of possession, but just didn't really do a lot with it. And I think as the game went on, look, if you use a word to sum up the whole performance, fairly underwhelming, I think. And like I say, as the game went on, I felt Arsenal grew into it more, managed to shut down things that City were trying to do. And you came away with quite a timid performance. Now it looked like they were going to get away with it uh, <laughs> when uh, Cole Palmer bends that one in. And I thought, look, the period really from as soon as they go up until, until the equaliser in like the 110th minute, they were fairly in control and looking looking fairly comfortable. But it just takes a shot like that, you know, two deflections. Look, they'll, they'll look back on that and think, ah, oh, we were unlucky with that. City will fight on four fronts this season. Is this first team squad big enough or are they going to need some more additions this month? When you often hear people talk about City's depth and they talk about it in terms of, oh, they just bring on, you know, this player or that player off the bench, true top quality. And it is true to an extent, but it City's depth has always been more qualitative than quantitative. If you like, it's not a big squad. He likes to work with the smaller squad. Yeah, there is a little bit of frustration building, I think, among the fan base who, who haven't seen as much progress made in the transfer market as you expect. And they're not, you know, there isn't great noise about all these players being replaced like for like. So, yeah, I think there is a little bit of a concern there. But the one thing I would say on that is that if there's a guy who can work with the numbers that he's got and pull a rabbit out of a hat, like we've seen time and time again, then it's Pep Guardiola. Harry Kane scored four goals for Spurs as they warmed up for the new Premier League season with a 5-1 victory over Shakhtar Donetsk at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Negotiations over the strikers' prospective move to German champions Bayern Munich are ongoing, although Kane clearly wasn't distracted in what was an impressive attacking display from new boss Ange Postacoglu's side. But after more than 10 years and 280 goals, has Kane played his last match in a Spurs shirt? And how are the team shaping up under Postacoglu? Adam Crafton was at yesterday's game and he joins us now. Adam, did this feel at all like a farewell or was it just another pre-season game? Difficult to say. I mean, I think everybody at the stadium was kind of trying to work out whether this was Harry Kane's last game for Tottenham at their home stadium, or whether it was like this almost tantalising glimpse into what Tottenham under Ange Postacoglu, this new Australian coach, could be if Harry Kane decides to stay at the club, either for the rest of his contract, which, as we know, runs out next summer, or, you know, dream scenario for Spurs, maybe that he actually signs a new deal. And I think everyone there was almost trying to read Harry Kane's body language. I mean, he's not kind of the most expressive personality when he's on the pitch in terms of, you know, he's not someone that you can sort of read like a book and you know what he's thinking at all times and things like that. He scored four goals, Tottenham won 5-1. He didn't celebrate any of the goals in a particularly dramatic way. There was no kind of wistful wave goodbye. Um, he did go round the stadium at the end of the game and waved to his family and was smiling with people. But there was no kind of hard clue into what he is going to be doing over the next week. I'm interested to get your take on the transfer saga in general. We've reported here at The Athletic that Bayern are the only club Kane's prepared to talk to this summer. Does that surprise you that it's it's sort of either just Bayern or Spurs here for Kane? Yeah, I mean, I think the reality is there might not be another club that Spurs are prepared to do business with that, that Kane would also go to. So if Tottenham's demands were more appealing to Manchester United, 
a couple of months ago than I think maybe Kane would have been open to that. You know, as it was, United were under the impression that it would take a fee of around £100 million at least, as well as £30 million a year in salary, which was somewhere where they just weren't prepared to go for someone who's, you know, over 30 now. And, you know, I did get the impression watching Kane, you know, sometimes when people have bids in for them and all this speculation, you can tell that like their minds elsewhere or there's disinterest or they're a bit, there's this kind of sense of anxiety. But to me, he looks like someone who, if the chance comes along to go to Bayern Munich, and if it works for everyone, then I'll go. But I'm not going to be throwing my toys out of the pram. It's it's an interesting one. And how impressed were you with Spurs? I mean, it's only a friendly, but some some good signs here for Postacoglu. Um, They were okay. Um, it sounds a bit odd to say about a 5-1 win. You know, Shakhtar, it's the Ukrainian team in the Champions League, and Postacoglu, you know, laid out that he just wasn't... He, he felt that his players were doing things because he told them to rather than because he they, they'd really started to understand and believe in what he's teaching them to do. I mean, the really difficult thing is you come away from that game and you're like, well, if Harry Kane's leading the line, then Spurs could be really interesting and new style of play. But if Harry Kane's not there, you're like, well... What are Spurs going to be? You're listening to the Daily Football Briefing from The Athletic. USA players spoke of their devastation after the worst Women's World Cup in the country's history following a shock defeat to Sweden at the last 16 stage. Megan Rapinoe was one of three USA players to miss a penalty in Sunday's shootout, with Sweden edging through 5-4 after a goalless game in which the USA had dominated but found goalkeeper Zashira Musovic impossible to beat. Rapinoe, playing at her last World Cup, described the defeat and her penalty miss as a sick joke and like a dark comedy. So what will the fallout be from this defeat and who are the new favourites to win the tournament now that the USA are out? Meg Linehan watched the drama unfold in Melbourne. Can you sum up the US's tournament for us, Meg? Underwhelming. That feels like the simplest version, but it I feel like is actually way more nuanced than just this underwhelming early exit because it was one of the best defensive performances of the tournament paired with some of the worst finishing we've ever seen from the U.S. Women's National Team. So for as much stuff was going wrong up top, you have this amazing, brilliant breakthrough performance from Naomi Gurma. And I also think Alyssa Nair deserves full credit from the round of 16 performance, not just in terms of stopping goals, but also converting her penalty. So pros and cons, obviously, but across the board, not to the standard of the U.S. Women's National Team. And where do you think they go from here? First of all, and I wrote this after the USA-Portugal game, that no matter really what happened, there are bigger structural issues here happening for the U.S. Women's National Team. You look at the the youth system, you look at the development and production of players in the U.S., and we're seeing now some big changes coming through the pipeline. But, you know, I think what we're going to see in the immediate aftermath is Flacco Andonovsky's contract will not be renewed. They will find a new head coach for this team. I think... That process should also be replicated for the general manager. Kate Markgraf oversees the entire program, and the the previous cycle has been overall one where they have slipped. But there will be so much fallout that it's really hard to even wrap our heads around what actually comes next right now. So with the number one team in the world now out, who should we be viewing as the favourites to win the tournament now? It's not just the US Women's National Team that's out of this World Cup. Germany exited in the group stage, Brazil, Canada. A lot of top teams are now out of the mix. 
So England is obviously, I think, a team that people are going to be looking out for, especially with their potential path to the final. Australia still potentially has some home advantage. Sam Kerr may be coming back for this round of 16 game, but I think everybody watching is now looking to what Japan is going to do. Obviously, Sweden is also coming into their new quarterfinal matchup against Japan a little more tired than they probably would like and with not a lot of finishing chances, but they will have an aerial advantage. But right now, I am definitely going to be watching Japan as, I think, the new favorite of this tournament. Maybe not odds-wise, but play-wise, they're so good. The big games in the World Cup keep on coming. England will look to join Spain, Japan, the Netherlands and Sweden in the quarterfinals when they take on Nigeria at 8.30am this morning. You can watch that on BBC One in the UK, or on Fox Sports 1 in the US at 3.30am Eastern Time. Following that, host Australia face Denmark in Sydney at 11.30am here, again on BBC One, or 6.30am on Fox Eastern Time. That's all for today. Thank you for listening. I've been Tim Spears. Your producer was Mike Zimmerman, and executive producer was Ian McIntosh. If it's your first listen, thanks for stopping by. Make sure you subscribe and drop us a review and let us know your views. If you're already a fan, tell your mates too. I'll be back here tomorrow. See you in the morning. The Athletic.